you know, we've got consumers saying to us, hey, I want to after pay my life. Suddenly it becomes like it's just a dangerous cycle. That $87 million has to have come from not just someone, but many young Australians. Hi, I'm Helen Karakulak, an Adelaide-based journalist that's 22 years old and finding that my understanding of finance is changing in the digital world. Developments in fintech, the growth of the buy now pay later industry and user-friendly investment apps have changed the way young people like me manage our money and discover new ways to spend it. Even social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok are full of financial influencers, sharing tips and tricks about how I should use my money. So with all the ways we can spend our money ever evolving, how do we keep up? To find out, I'm joined by financial counsellor Chanel McAuliffe to bring you Leveraged. Leveraged is a three-part series where we'll be looking into some of these finance trends and how they've affected real people. We're digging into the digitals and finding that there's more to it than meets the eye. We are a generation in debt. When I was like 15 and 16, it was just to buy crap constantly, simply because you could. It was in like July this year, actually. So recently, I reckon I had over two grand on there. The worst part is this is debt that we don't even realise we have. Thanks to sponsored posts filling our feeds and the ever-growing list of payment options at checkout, it's completely understandable that we're getting drawn into the comforting advertising that promises you safety if you want to spend that little bit extra. But how much are these services making off of our indulgence? How does a buy now pay later service build such a credible empire? And most importantly, what do they leverage over young people to keep us coming back for more? Let's find out. Because all those guys have done is just essentially modernise credit cards, and a lot of young people don't realise that. Hmm. So having Afterpay is the same as having a credit card, as far as your credit score is concerned. It is kind of like a credit card, so I guess in a way it's kind of good learning experience if you use it properly. The two voices you just heard belong to UniSA students Jordan and Ali. Jordan is a 21-year-old marketing and communications student, a self-taught investor, and loves to unwind with a fancy gin. Ali is a 22-year-old Port Adelaide supporter and journalism student whose footy fanaticism informs much of the reporting she gravitates to. They both shared with me what they love and learnt from the Australian heavyweight of fintech, Afterpay. Buy Now Pay Later is one of the most influential credit products of our time, with the industry having grown rapidly in recent years. With the number of Australians using Buy Now Pay Later services nearly doubling in 2020, it seems a relevant place to start our story. The Australian Securities Investment Commission, known as ASIC, found that over half of Buy Now Pay Later users spend more than they would otherwise. Funny story, I used Afterpay all through high school when I was under 18. Mm-hmm. And then when I turned 18, they banned me. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't know if I, because I was the wrong age or, but it was weird. When I was like 15 and 16, it was just to buy crap constantly, like simply because you could. And I don't think at the time I realized it was consumer credit and you know, the same as a credit card. Mm. Now I do have Klarna, which is like an Afterpay equivalent, but I'm a bit more responsible with it. So that's what big purchases like a couple of months ago, I got tires and I put that on my Afterpay equivalent to space out over time. Yeah, cool. And I don't just buy things for the sake of it. I like outfit repeating, like I'm a big advocate, but sometimes, you know, you want to buy like a couple of new dresses or you've seen some clothes that you really like, you like, oh, that, that'd be nice for this event. It's like, oh, I'll just put on Afterpay. Oh, I'll put that one on tonight as well. Like, you'll be fine. And then, you know, like suddenly you've put like, you've got like three dresses and pairs of shoes and some makeup for the event too. And then suddenly it becomes like a, just a dangerous cycle. So what is so appealing about Buy Now Pay Later products and why are they so addictive? 
I don't have any Buy Now Pay Later accounts. Before researching this podcast, I couldn't give you a deep reason why. I just felt like it wasn't for me, and I'd rather buy things outright. Now, I try my best to stay organized, but I am a scatterbrain when it comes to my money. Like a lot of other full-time students, my income is often inconsistent, and it comes from a variety of casual work. So you'd think the ability to pay for things in installments would be right up my alley and allow me to shop on those weeks where I don't have a lot of work coming in. But I know what I'm like, and I am so confident that I would forget about something that I would put on a buy now, pay later. Then when it's time for the next payment to come out, the money just wouldn't be in my account because I had gotten excited when my pay came in and spent it on something else. But I certainly wouldn't be alone in that because according to ASIC's 2020 buy now, pay later industry update report, approximately 1.2 million, that's one in five buy now, pay later users that were surveyed had missed a payment in the last 12 months. The problem there is that when you miss a payment with most of these providers, you're charged a late fee. Ali and Jordan mentioned Afterpay as their preferred buy now, pay later service, and the company has earned a reputation as an Australian fintech success story. So much so that two reporters from the Australian Financial Review, Jonathan Shapiro and James Ayres, published a book in 2021 titled Buy Now, Pay Later, The Extraordinary Story of Afterpay. The book documents the company's meteoric rise and the division it caused by shaking up the fintech space. Afterpay is certainly one of the most divisive companies that we've covered as journalists at the Financial Review over many years. That was James Ayres. We'll come back to him throughout the series for his insights into Afterpay's achievements and the impact of Buy Now, Pay Later. Looking at Afterpay specifically, according to their Financial Year 2021 annual report, their late fees made up $87.3 million towards their revenue, which increased from $68.8 million in the prior year. That's a lot of money. However, their late fees now represent less than 10% of the company's total income, which James explains speaks to Afterpay's awareness of how customers want to use their product. So as a financial counsellor, I see clients' bank statements in which there are pages upon pages filled with Afterpay transactions, and particularly for survival purposes in terms of paying for utilities. You mentioned that you don't see the product facilitating debt traps, but I'm seeing a pattern of dependency on the platform, which is it resulting in people not finding financial independency and not being able to find financial resilience. And instead, they're stuck in a buy now, pay later cycle. So how do you think this product helps people in the long term? Yeah, we detail a lot of these concerns in the book. ASIC and the corporate regulator in Australia, as well as regulators in the UK, have honed in on the use of multiple buy now, pay later products. And the products are as a not regulated like traditional credit products. So low income users are able to access them. And even if they get a small amount of credit initially, it's still effectively a lending product. So look, it's a sort of interesting question. Sure. So as we know, Afterpay, for example, does not charge interest like a traditional credit card product. Is the late payment fee just a clever marketing word to use instead of an interest rate? I don't think so. The amount of the late payment fee that Afterpay has been receiving as like a proportion of its all its revenue has been declining. Yeah, it's a substantial amount, but as a proportion of its overall income, it's gone from 20%, say, to 14 or 12% now and is falling. Like, And that's because Afterpay is really cognizant of this issue. 
It's always said it doesn't use late fees as a way to make money, although it does make money from them. Afterpay says it needs to charge some level of late fee in order to motivate people to repay. There's this industry code of conduct that has been built that also caps the late fees and the late fees are sort of becoming very regulated. So no, I think you're absolutely right that excessive late fees are a concern and think it's one that they're, they're sort of aware of and are trying to push lower. For Ali, she's pleased that despite her self-proclaimed afterpay addiction, her afterpay account hasn't contributed to their late fee revenue. How do you keep track of your afterpay payments? I write them all down in my notes. I've never been late on a payment, so I like to flex that. (laughs) It's a good flex. It is. But yeah, I obviously they send out text messages and emails, but usually like to budget my pay each week. So I write down what I know I need to pay. And most of that usually consists of after paying like phone bills and stuff. But I like to keep track. Otherwise, it can become so overwhelming if you just like kind of putting stuff on and you don't focus on what you've actually got on there. So Ali's in the clear, sort of. But that $87 million has to have come from not just someone, but many young Australians. These profits coming from late fees are part of the reason why the buy now, pay later industry has sparked a national conversation around whether this is a space that requires further regulation. Following ASIC's industry update report in 2020 on the state of buy now, pay laters, Rebecca Sharkey, the Member for Parliament representing the electorate of Mayo in South Australia, urged the Federal Parliament to enforce higher standards of consumer protection onto the growing industry. I have raised this with the Treasurer on many occasions. I think that there is a move among a number of members of Parliament to see change and greater protections for consumers in this space, particularly because of the huge amount of profits that have been made based on the late fees that have been collected by now pay later industry, but I'm yet to convince government that they need to move. After pay claim on their website, and I quote, if your payment is still outstanding, then you'll be charged a $10 late fee, which we hate doing. As James mentioned earlier, late fees are capped. A maximum of one $10 late fee may be applied per order. For each order of $40 or above, the total of the late fees that may be applied are capped at 25% of the original order value, or $68, whichever is lower. So, if I bought a $100 dress and I missed repayments, the total amount I could be paying is $25 in late fees. Even though it's capped at 25%, technically, that's interest you're paying on a dress, and in my opinion, it's unnecessary. Rebecca says the late fees set up can be an elusive element across various buy now pay laters. The reason why they're getting charged so many late fees is because they're not able to meet those fortnightly repayments. Some are then using their credit card and it just becomes a really messy existence. And then it can impact on your credit rating if you are late making those fees, if you do essentially dishonour the contract that you have. I'm finding that there's many in the community that are concerned about this, particularly a lot of parents are concerned about their young people in their lives who are sort of getting on, I guess you could say, debt merry-go-round with this. Ali says she's aware of the impact Afterpay has on her credit rating, and considering her good habit of avoiding late fees, she's not too worried about it in that sense. If anything, she believes the threat of a late fee has forced her to be more responsible of a spender, but she definitely recognises that she herself has ridden the merry-go-round, making a variety of purchases before she had the money to afford them all. 
What is the most you've ever had on Afterpay at one time? I reckon it was, it was in like July this year, actually. So recently, I reckon I had over two grand on there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> it was no good. <laughs> I think if I use it like safely and I'm nowhere near as bad as I was in terms of like buying clothes and stuff, but I think I can stop when I want to because I have stopped before and I have deleted the app and haven't looked at it for months and haven't even thought about putting stuff on there. So I know I can. It's just that I like I like being able to just put stuff on there and not have to think about it, especially, you know, working in casual job shifts aren't always like, you know, you might get three shifts a week, you might get five, you might get one. So it's always kind of handy to just have that option to if you want to buy something, you say, oh, just put it on Afterpay. The mentality of being able to put things on Afterpay with ease is evident of just one way managing our finances has changed in the digital world. Lee Hatton, the executive vice president of Afterpay, spoke to us about how they've been able to build on the feedback they receive from users through new innovations like their app, Money by Afterpay. On the consumer side, we've got consumers saying to us, hey, I want to afterpay my life, right? Like I love the way this cash flow functionality works for me. I'm good with it. I use it well. It's got really good transparency for me. I think the whole industry, anyone that's sitting across financial services, they're always thinking about what their customer needs and wants. And as a result of that, I think we'll see more and more of this. And hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we'll continue to see more and more innovation. This whole afterpay my life piece, you want to do that, but you want to have control. For us, we really wanted to build features into the money app that kind of gave them the control that they want, whether it be around when they want their payments to come out, do they want to align them to their salary? How much of their limits do they want to use at any particular time? Like I think there's a number of different things that we like to have control around and we really want to encourage that. At the time of recording, Money by Afterpay has just been released and me and my newly created but still unused Afterpay account are keen to explore it. Before the app came out, I asked James whether the new app is an ambitious expansion for the company or a natural progression. It's a big step because it sort of changes the simplicity of the offering, but it's also, I think, you know, quite a logical step. Some of the things that the app does is show your available balance, allow you to make payments to friends in the app, and even create up to 15 personalized savings accounts that would collect 0.75% interest so long as the balance across all of them is under $50,000. They also provide a debit card branded as Money by Afterpay. I will download the app now. It's loading. So I have to log in with my Afterpay account and verify. It wants a mobile code. Oh God, this might take a while. <gasps> okay, bear with me. Oh, I just got an email. You've done it. Welcome to money. <laughs> Start your unique story. Every epic story has a beginning, and this is yours. Welcome. So I assume this is different to the Afterpay cards they already provide because it's branded as Money by Afterpay. Let's see. It's very trendy. I'll give it that. The color scheme is like a blue, yellow, pink, watercolor gradient vibe. It looks like when you click onto someone's Instagram profile and they have like their story highlights that are the ones that they kind of pin underneath their bio. That's what it looks like on the front page. So you've got like, welcome, Helen, zero dollars available balance. Beautiful, because obviously I haven't put any money into the account. And then you've got your daily spend, your afterpay and Refinery29 Money Diaries. So I imagine that's a partnership with the entertainment media publication. 
It's lots of emojis, really heavy emoji use after pay. I'm not too sure if, if would that be chuji? Is that what the kids are saying? If something's, they don't say cringe anymore. They say chuji or chewy or I don't know, something like that. But yeah, I'm not too sure if I'm a fan of all of the emoji overuse, but you do you. Money by Afterpay. It's definitely a lot trendier and a lot more animated than any of the online banking apps I currently use. In exploring all of these things and clicking through the prompts, I found myself receiving an email about having a failed credit check, which really threw me. So it's a good thing I have a financial counsellor available. (laughs) Chanel, help. (laughs) What does this mean? So as part of the application process, Westpac sought to verify my identity through Equifax, which is a credit reporting body in Australia. So they were unable to match my personal information against their records, so the assessment was therefore unsuccessful. And it gives two reasons why it may have been unsuccessful. The one that's relevant to me is that I've not previously made an application for credit. They've not previously been asked to provide consumer credit information about me, and now they have. So if I want to resolve this, I have to get in touch with them and request to check the accuracy. So they have a phone number there that I can call or they tell me I can visit any Westpac branch because Westpac is the issuer of the money by Afterpay account. I'm still confused. (laughs) So they want to verify my identity. And they probably told me this. I'm sure that this is something that I agreed to. It's not just something that happened at random. I, like I'm sure many others, tick the little checkbox to say that I've read the terms and conditions when at best I've probably just glanced over them in my scrolling. Mm. So I don't doubt that I agreed to this check somewhere along the way, Mm. but I still don't understand why they need to check my details with a credit reporting body if their account only involves providing a debit card. Mm, Which is all that you thought you were signing up for. The Money by Afterpay website is super aspirational. It doesn't really reference or mention anything about credit checks or debit cards, bank accounts. But what I find concerning is the email that you were sent about having a failed credit check and verifying your identity. The terms and conditions actually state that we may make this request directly to Equifax or via Frankie. I'm not sure who Frankie is. We'll have to look into that. I'm sure you probably weren't aware that by downloading the Afterpay app and signing up for it, you were consenting to Afterpay to hand your personal information to a third party and then for that third party to pass on your information to another third party. So in this era of personal data being compromised, I think it's a little bit problematic. Yeah, I just did a live Google. Frankie or Frankie.com, trusted by the world's top banks, fintechs and financial institutions with the Westpac and Afterpay logos listed there. Basically, it's a unified onboarding and fraud prevention platform. So I've never heard of it before other than in that terms and conditions screenshot that you sent me. Mm. There would be the typical verifying of ID in order to get a bank account, which is how Westpac would operate, which is the Afterpay's leveraging Westpac's banking license. Are we just overthinking this or is this quite difficult to understand for what should be a fairly easy product to use? Or are we just putting too much thought into it in that they don't expect customers to ask these questions or care about how it works? I definitely think that's a valid point. And when you're looking at the Money by Afterpay page on their website, it's all these buzzwords about superpowers, a community, free up some cash. So 
It's very aspirational. There's not a lot of context. There's not a lot of detail about what the product is, how it works, what you're getting yourself into. It's helping ease stress and anxiety about what's next. But it seems the experience you've had since downloading the app has caused stress. <laughs> yeah, it has caused stress. I was so confused. I didn't apply for credit. So I was like, what do you mean? It's important to reiterate here that Money by Afterpay is in partnership with Westpac. And Westpac are the ones that offer the legitimacy to create these accounts. So, therefore, Westpac is going to be on the receiving end of quite a concerned phone call from me very shortly. Let's go back to Lee Hatton from Afterpay to tell us a bit more about this partnership and why they've been able to create this product in this way. For us, the partnership with Westpac's super special on a number of layers. One, it's like brand new. Two, it's amazing how quickly you can get speed to market. So we've built this proposition in less than a year. Like it's absolutely amazing to think years ago, gosh, it, it would cost you billions of dollars and lots and lots of time to build a bank. And effectively, we've been able to build a lifestyle app that's supported by money and financial services in the course of 12 months. I think also too, that means you focus on the things you're good at. So the banks are really good at this regulatory space and so you can rely on them. You've got government guarantees, you've got their infrastructure to support your customers. So we love that. Another kind of first is the partnership we're doing with them is cloud native core banking with a company called 10X. So really awesome to kind of see that come to life. And then the final piece is really you get to focus again on the things that you're really good at. So for us, it's all about customer experience and redesigning financial products in a, in a disruptive and non-traditional way versus focusing on capital liquidity funding, all those kind of things that you need to do when you're kind of running a regulated ADI. That term Lee used at the end there, ADI, that stands for Authorised Deposit Taking Institution. So by using Westpac's 10x banking as a service platform, Afterpay doesn't need an ADI of its own, but they're still able to offer legitimate savings accounts and these cash flow management tools as part of the partnership. Despite these strides and the seeming legitimacy of money, some MPs are still calling for further action in this space. Remember the code of conduct James mentioned earlier? That was announced in February of 2021, and it's important to specify it was a voluntary code of conduct that big players in the industry collaborated on and can opt into. I think for us, you will have seen as well, like we've always welcomed regulation so long as it for purpose. And we were massive advocates of the buy now, pay later code of conduct. So that's kind of been key for us. And that's about lifting the standards across the industry because so many new competitors have come in over time. The industry has claimed the Code of Conduct will impose minimum standards across all providers, but some features of the code replicate a confusing pro-con list for consumers. The code still allows purchases up to $2,000 to be made without checking if a user has any income or debts. This is a pro because it makes the line of credit accessible to those that may struggle to find approval elsewhere. It's also a con because it gives people the ability to spend money they may not have and may not get without accountability. They'll impose caps on late fees, disclose late fee limits, waive any late payment surcharges made without first notifying a customer. This sounds like it should be a bunch of pros, right? 
But isn't it really just the bare minimum of what we should expect a financial service to inform us of when it comes to our own money? Well, they'll freeze charges for customers undergoing financial hardship. That's got to be a pro, right? Well, actually, dealing with afterpay on hardship cases, in my experience, has been worse than negotiating with payday lenders and loan sharks. Afterpay's auto response states that they will respond within two business days, and it was 10 days before their initial response. This pattern continued throughout the process. Requesting a debt waiver on hardship grounds meant the client would receive a lifetime ban, which in my view is quite punitive action for someone that is seeking help. The account was frozen and Afterpay demanded the balance be paid in full. It was a lengthy and stressful process as opposed to a typical debt negotiation in which the creditor brings reasonable options to the table. I also asked Rebecca Sharkey if the code is enough and if not, how it can be improved. Yeah, look, I think they're really insufficient and I've been surprised by, I guess, the lack of momentum by Ticker on this. I think the ASRC could be doing a lot more. I think that we are really going to see quite a tsunami. If you're looking at the growth in buy now, pay later over essentially what's been six years of being in the market, goodness knows where the industry is going to be and it's now moving to the UK and the US. And I think around 10% of young people regularly use Buy Now, Pay Later. I'm really concerned without putting some proper framework. You know, anything that has a voluntary code of conduct really is based on the organisation to put in some clear parameters. There's no requirement for them to do it. I think that we need to be far tighter and far firmer on this, particularly given who the client group is and really what is very much unabashed marketing towards young people who are um, vulnerable consumers because often they have jobs that don't have as much protections around them. You know, it's more tends to be casual work, lower pay, and I think that there needs to be far more protections for young people. At least for Afterpay, they maintain that they're happy to cooperate with MPs and are open to regulation. Yeah, I think we keep a really close eye on the regulation piece and I think so much of it, as you know, with all financial services regulation, even if you look right back to the days of the Royal Commission, education is critical, right, and not making assumptions. And I think that's what the MPs and the like have been pretty good at actually having a conversation with us and just making blanket choices. Something that really stuck out to me from our conversations and research was the idea that regulation is welcome in these online spaces to the condition that it doesn't compromise innovation. It seems the fintech space has been transformed into a boxing ring for companies and consumer advocacy groups to fight it out as an example of the wider issue of regulation and innovation conflicting. In this corner, weighing in at $87 million just in late fees, the crowd favourite with 3.6 million active customers, current world heavyweight champion, Afterpay! And in this corner, weighing in at 102 kilos of straight-up passion, a consumer group coalition! Listen out for that boxing bell in future episodes because we're going to come back to this idea of regulation versus innovation and conflicting values plaguing the digital finance world. From a consumer perspective, we may not think about regulation every time we use a product or download an app, but you can see how there is a solid argument to support regulation as it prioritises consumer needs. When these discussions are reported on, they can sometimes be confusing or targeted towards business people, investors, 
or are locked behind paywalls of mainstream finance publications. This tends to lock out young people who don't frequent this kind of news or don't find its content relatable. So why should we care about regulation or keep up with the latest fintech news? When obviously they're in the news, I like to, you know, I'm using their product. I want to know what's being said about them. I don't want to know, oh, have they changed this? Have they changed that? Or what's going on here? So I enjoy the news coverage they get because when, like, when I said, like, the first, when I first started using it, there wasn't a lot of that coverage and they weren't as well known. I think, like, we're shifting from, we're not shifting from, but we're using more afterpay and banking has been regulated for so long. And we've just had, like, the Royal Commission, it's found all this stuff. And that's because it took so long to implement some regulation. We might see the same with afterpay and different buy now, pay later services, perhaps, if the government doesn't keep up with these technologies quicker. You don't need to be a fancy investor or business person forking out a subscription to finance publications to understand these topics, which is exactly why we're bringing you this series. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learnt a bit more about the buy now, pay later landscape. Next time on Leveraged. We'll look into investing. Staying on the Afterpay train, we'll check out their performance as a stock and we'll give you a crash course on the influence of the COVID pandemic on the stock market. We'll look at apps that allow you to invest instantly, the finfluencers that are spruiking them and what this means for young investors. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leveraged. Leveraged is brought to you by the University of South Australia Student Association. If you liked this episode, rate us and write a review, or you can engage with us on Instagram at USASA Adelaide. This episode was researched by Helen Karakulak and Chanel McAuliffe. We were assisted by Cassie Taylor and Michelle Wakim. It was mixed and edited by Shay Mosh of Podcast Services Australia. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Ghana people, and we pay our respects to elders past and present. We also acknowledge the country that you are listening from and its connection with traditional custodians.